Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldheadbible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. This week I've got two stories for you. One great, one good, and the other one sort of sad, sort of depressing, sort of revealing the heart of humanity. But both stories telling you and pointing to what an awesome prophet Elisha was and how he was used by God. These two stories are definitely stories of Elisha. Well, I want to start with the good story. You know, you got to start with the good news. Remember that Shunammite woman who built an apartment for Elisha? He could stop by any time. And then remember Elisha said, you're going to have a kid. And she had a kid. And then the kid got ill and died. And then Elisha brought him back to life. Well, this was a godly woman who sought to honor Yahweh. Well, Elisha comes to her one day and says, You got to leave. You got to go to another land for the next seven years. Because Elisha knew that there was a famine coming upon the land of Israel for the sins that they kept committing against Yahweh. Remember the big problem in northern Israel is that they worship another god. They don't worship the one true god, Yahweh. They worship these little g-gods, Molech and Baal, and they totally reject the covenant they made with Yahweh. Well, God says, if you reject me, I'm going to bring curses, and one of the curses he's going to bring is drought. They won't be able to eat. And there's a seven-year famine coming, Elisha tells her. He says, you got to get out of Dodge. you got to leave Israel. And so she gets her husband and her kid and all her stuff, and they leave to a place where they're going to have food and they're going to be able to eat. They move all the way to the land of the Philistines. So God protected this woman and her husband and her family, and, and, and he protected her and watched over her because she's doing right, and he wants to watch out for her. 
And then she could have said, no, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know. Is that true? Why would God want to protect me by keeping me in another pagan country? No, that wasn't what she did. She believed God. She said, all right, if God said it, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to do it. Yahweh's never let me down. And what Elisha says to me as a prophet is true. I'm going to do it. So she and her family move away for seven years. Then at the end of the seven years, they come back. And they find that while they were gone, their land had been taken over by somebody else. Maybe she'd sold it thinking, hey, I won't come back and I'll take the money from the sale and I'll survive. Either way, when she comes back, her house and her land are gone. Well, in Israel, you could get that land back, especially if it was given to your ancestor by Moses. If Moses had given it to your family line, that land was supposed to be passed on. And you could never lose that land. Well, she came back. And she wanted to get her land back. Either she sold it or it had been taken over. I don't know, but she wanted her land back because it was in her family. And according to Jewish law, she couldn't just sell it. She had to pass it on to somebody else within her family. Well, when she comes back, it's gone. It's taken. There's nothing she can do. So she's got to go appeal to the king. Now, this is where the story gets good. And I want to encourage you, have you ever had that moment where you see something miraculous happen and people will tell you, ah, that's just coincidence. Or something great happens and it's not life-changing, but still you feel like the way God orchestrated things for you to be there at the right time for this to occur, for this to happen. If you've ever experienced that and said, I wonder if that's from God. Well, this story is all about God taking the time from dealing with major national problems with Israel to help this Shunammite woman out. And I think it's a great story of how God cares about the little things in our life. Well, this woman comes back and she says, I want my land back, so therefore I've got to go appeal to the king. And the king at this time was a king named Jehoram. Now, the thing about Jehoram we're later going to find out is Jehoram... He wasn't the greatest king. In fact, the Bible says Jehoram did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Jehoram sought other gods and he pursued other gods. And he didn't really care about following Yahweh. Now, remember, Elisha helped him out. Elisha told him when people would raid, when particularly Ben-Hadad and the Syrian army would raid in, he would warn Jehoram, you better run away, you better hide, you better move away from there. And God was gracious to him despite the fact that Jehoram sort of followed Yahweh, but he was more following Baal and Asherah and all these other gods. Jehoram was ultimately a bad king. But Jehoram was the king that the Shunammite woman had to go talk to to get her land back. Well, she heads off with her family to go talk to the king. Well, on this particular day, the king was busy talking to a man we've heard of before. He was busy 
talking to Elisha's servant, Gehazi. Now, here's the question, right? We just got done with the story of Naaman where Gehazi got leprosy for wanting to deceive and for wanting to be greedy, right? God cursed him with leprosy. And here he is, two chapters later, talking to Jehoram, the king of Israel. So either this story happened way before the whole leprosy issue, or some people think Jehoram is trying to get dirt on Elisha. And Jehoram is talking to leprosy-struck Gehazi, maybe from a distance, maybe far away. Or maybe he so hates Elisha that Jehoram doesn't care. And he just wants to get some dirt, and he wants to hear some stories. I don't know. A third option, some people believe, is that somehow, it's not recorded, that Gehazi was healed. I personally think this is Gehazi, all bitter and angry and struck with leprosy, coming to talk to Jehoram because Jehoram wants some dirt on Elisha. Jehoram doesn't like Elisha. Even though Elisha does good things for him, he doesn't like him. And I can imagine he's trying to get some dirt. Well, here is Gehazi talking to him in the palace. You know, maybe he shares about the floating axe and he shares about, you know, some other great story. Well, he begins to share with them about this Shunammite widow and how Elisha had brought her son, who was dead, back to life. Well, guess what? On that same day, when he is sharing that story, guess who walks into the palace? It's the Shunammite woman. Do you think this just randomly happened? No, this is God showing up in a big way in this woman's life. And to her, it wasn't a simple thing. It was about property. It was about family. It was about legacy. It was also about money. Well, God shows up in a big way because he just happens to orchestrate Gehazi talking to the king about her son being raised back to life just as she enters. And I can imagine they're talking away and then this woman enters because she wants to talk to the king and Gehazi looks over. (gasps) It's that woman. And he says, hey, this is the woman and this is the son. Elisha restored to life right there. Whoa. Talk about coincidence. You would have to say, this is God moving. I think that's what moved Jehoram's heart because he's like, this is strange. Something's happening here. And so the woman comes over and tells him her story. And I think moved by the fact that this seems like coincidence, but I think Jehoram sees something supernatural behind it. Something wonderful. And he could be a part of it. I think Jehoram, who naturally doesn't really like Yahweh, and he definitely doesn't like Elisha, Why would he rule in favor of this woman? Well, he does. And he says to the woman, I'm going to restore all the land to you. And in fact, I'm going to restore not only the land, but all the income from the day that you left the country until now. You left for seven years and you're going to get all the money that your land made in the past seven years. Plus, you're going to get the land back. That is what I want to do. 
Hey, is that not a good story? The Shunammite widow and her husband and her son obeys God, leaves, hangs out in a pagan country for seven years, remains true to Yahweh, comes back and is rewarded with all of it back. She just did what God asked her to do. It was that simple. If only northern Israel could grasp that fact. Just do what God asks you to do and you'll be blessed. And then the other cool thing about the story is if something wonderful happens and it seems to be bigger than coincidence in your life, it probably is. It's probably a sign of God working behind the scenes to provide for you in a beautiful way. Well, that's the great story. But like I said, in 2 Kings 8, there's also a sad story. Or maybe a foreboding story. See, Elisha, his fame began to spread. All his amazing miracles that he did were astounding. His fame spread so far, it even got into Syria with Ben-Hadad II. Remember him? Ben-Hadad II. He's been raiding into Israel, and he hates Israel. And he tried to kill Elisha. Remember, he sent all his troops to surround where he lived to try to wipe him out. And then he was led as a blind man back to Samaria, where he was taken over by the Israelis. And they had a big party, and they sent back, and they said, All right, we will never attack you again. Well, I think through all of this... Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, began to have a grudging respect for Elisha. And he knew that if he wanted to know the will of God, the will of Yahweh, who seems so different from his gods, he's got to talk to Elisha. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 8, we find Ben-Hadad ill. He's not doing well. He's probably sick to the point of death. And he wonders, am I going to live? So he puts a whole bunch of gifts on 40 camels. And it must have been incredible wealth. Or if he had 40 camels and he put one gift per camel, maybe it only was 40 gifts and one change of clothes per camel. And maybe it wasn't that much. Either way... Ben-Hadad thinks if I give money to Elisha, if I give these gifts, and I think it was a lot. I think he loaded down his camels because his life is on the line. He wants to find out what's going to happen. Is he going to live or is he going to die? And so he says to his head servant, Haziel, he says, Hey, Haziel, I need you to take these 40 camels and I need you to go to Elisha. And I need you to ask him, am I going to live or am I going to die? Now, the other interesting thing is they didn't have to go very far. See, Syria, the capital was Damascus. And guess who was in Damascus? Elisha. He's not normally in Damascus. This is foreign territory. Well, Haziel doesn't have to go very far with his 40 camels, and he shows up maybe in downtown Damascus, and right there in front of everybody, he brings in the camels, and he shows them gift after gift after gift. And then Haziel says to Elisha, 
will my king, will he recover from the illness that he has? Will he recover from the sickness? And and if, if you'll answer me correctly, you can have all these gifts. That's essentially what he's saying. I will pay you for the answer. Ben Hadehead is so desperate to know, will he recover from this sickness? And Elisha looks at Haziel. And he says, go tell him, you shall surely recover. You will recover. But also tell him, the Lord has shown me that he is sure to die. Then Elisha stops and he stares at Haziel. He just looks at him and I'm sure Haziel looks away and this is a little odd and looks back and Elisha's still staring at him and he looks away and, and he looks back and Elisha is still staring at him. Now it's getting creepy. He just keeps looking at him. And and it says he keeps looking at him until Haziel starts to become embarrassed. Why is he staring at me? And then he looks back. And Elisha is not only staring at him. He is weeping. He is crying. Great drops of tears are running down his face. And Haziel looks at him. And he goes, what is the problem? Why are you staring at me? And, and why are you crying? And then Elisha says, I am crying because I know the evil that you're going to do to Israel. And I can see the many men that you're going to kill and all the fortresses you're going to destroy. And you're even going to kill some of our children and you're going to rip them to pieces. You're going to do evil to the people of Israel. Hazel steps back and looks at him. And, Me? I'm, I'm just a servant. How, how could I do all these terrible things to Israel? There's, there's no way. I'm not a king. I'm not a commander of the army. I, I, I'm just a servant. <laughs> but Elisha knows Haziel's heart. How does he know Haziel's heart? Because the Lord had shown him. The Lord had revealed the future. And Elisha leans in and he says, you're not going to be just some mere servant. No, the Lord has shown me that you will be king over Syria. Whoa. This is good news for Haziel, right? But Elisha just said, you're going to be destroying the people of Israel. And he's starting to weep and thinking of all the men that Haziel's going to kill. Well, Haziel leaves and he now knows that, yes, Ben-Hadad is going to recover, but he also knows that he is going to die. And now Haziel has a choice because not only does he know that Ben-Hadad II is going to die, he also knows that he, Haziel, is going to be king someday. And he's going to be king over it all. But he's got to wait for Ben-Hadad to die. Now, Elisha didn't say how long. 
Would it happen next week? Would it happen tomorrow? Would it happen a year from now? Would it happen five years from now? And, and Hazel's thinking, but but he says he's a prophet and he says, I'm going to be king. He thinks of all the money and all the queens he can have and all the wealth and all the people that are going to love him and all the cool things. And he's, and he's probably thinking to himself, I can't wait. I can't wait that long. So you know what? Haziel is going to be king. But instead of waiting upon God to orchestrate this thing, instead of waiting upon Yahweh to make him king like David did, David knew for years that he was going to be king, but he waited for God to move. He waited for God to act. Haziel, not a true follower of Yahweh, he could have chosen to be, but instead he just thinks just like a pagan. And he thinks, you know what? I don't have time to wait for this. And it says he then gets a heavy cloth. And he dips it in water, just soaks it in water. And while the king is sleeping, or or maybe while he's awake, I don't know. All it says is that Haziel takes this wet cloth and places it over the mouth of Ben-Hadad. He places it over his face, over his mouth. And the Bible says that he places it over his face. Well, that had to be over his mouth, right? He places it over his nose, over his mouth. And I think he pulled down hard. And as Ben-Hadad woke up, he tries to take a breath. Or maybe he comes up to him from behind and puts this wet cloth over his face and pulls back hard. And either way, oh! Ben Hadad can't breathe. When he tries to take in a breath, all he gets is wet cloth. And Ben Hadad is killed by Haziel. The official term is assassinated. And then Haziel, he becomes king. He is now king. There's an ancient inscription that lists some of the history of this king named Haziel. And it says there in Assyrian that King Haziel seizes the throne, but it says this about him. Haziel, the son of nobody. He didn't come from some ancient lineage of kings. He wasn't a prince. He wasn't born into greatness. No, he was the son of nobody and he seized the throne. I think, man, to be a son of nobody and to seize the throne, he must have been a great general or or maybe he was a great negotiator because he had to get power and people on his side. How did he do that? I think Haziel was a brilliant man strategically in his thinking. I think Haziel was brilliant. But morally, he was bad. He didn't wait for God to elevate him. Instead, he took this news that Ben-Hadad was going to die, and he said, I'm going to make this happen. And I think it just reveals the heart of man. Elisha didn't make him do it. Elisha just said, Ben-Hadad's going to die, and someday you're going to be king. 
No, Haziel decided to do it on his own. Free choice. I'm going to sin. I'm going to murder. And the rest of his reign? Who's known for that? Murder? Pillaging? Raids? Hurting Israel? He was a brutal leader. Two stories. One good where she waited on God and just obeyed what the Lord asked her to do. The other one, hey, I got to grab the moment. I've got to live in the moment. I've got to seize the moment. Mom's spaghetti, you know, I've got to do it. This is my time and I'm going to do it. It's me, me, me. Forget about God. Forget about Yahweh. It's all about me. Seize the moment. I pray we have more people like the Shunammite woman who obeys the word of God through the prophet Elisha and then the Lord worked on her behalf and orchestrated things and blessed her in ways she couldn't even imagine. Isaiah 64 verse 4 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard any God like you who works for those who wait for him. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week. Thank you.